0: Welcome back into the Bracket Breakers podcast. I'm your host Dalton Pence. With me is always my co-host Dylan Jackson. How's it going, Dylan?
1: I am doing great. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of a lot of news lately about the NCAA and the lack of top pl- prospects going there. And um, yeah. you know, it just it makes me pretty happy to know that players are you know finally doing what they want to do and that there's like an alternative option. But other than that, you know, still you know quarantine. So. Right. <laughs>
0: there yeah like you said there is some breaking news not necessarily in in terms of brackets unfortunately but um definitely relevant to the college basketball landscape you know in, in you know recent years uh most notably uh I'd say the past couple we're starting to see a lot of you know top guys really consider the foreign route instead of going to college most notably RJ Hampton Terrence Ferguson Emmanuel Mouillet, Omelo Ball to name a few and the most notable but now it seems like there's a different trend um just this year, it seemed, you know, we saw it with Darius Baisley. was kind of an unpopular route, but now it seems like to be the norm. Three top 15 players of the 2020 class have decided to um, elect to go to the G League and to retain their draft eligibility for the 2021 draft. While foregoing college, most notably top three recruit Jalen Green, uh, Michigan commit Isaiah Todd, who was a top 10 player, and most notably on Tuesday, Top overall point guard, Dacian Nix, who had pledged to play for UCLA, also puts his name in that G League category. So I have to ask, you know, when you first heard the news of all this and we kind of see, you know, the tip of the iceberg, it looks like they are the slippery slopes coming. Is this a good move by prospects to start going to the G League rather than playing in college?
1: So I think, you know, for, I mean, for the other two guys, like Isaiah Todd, and I think the you know, the UCLA point guard, or the guy that was supposed to go to UCLA. Yeah, yeah, Nix. Um You know, I think it could mean that their stock falls just a little bit. Um, I don't think they'll, like, fall off a cliff or anything. I think, you know, they're both first-round locks right now just because, you know, they're both top 15 players. Um, However, I will say for Jalen Green, he would be the first overall pick in this draft. So I'm not necessarily sure it's going to impact him, especially since, you know, he's playing in Los Angeles. He's in a large market. Uh, He's going to be on TV, so... I think that Jalen Green, I think his stock remains the same. Um, I think for these top guys, too. It's hard too, to get
0: higher if you're Jalen Green. It, how did your stock really get oh any yeah.
1: higher? He's going to be a top three pick next year. Him and Cade Cunningham are the two locks. Um, but, you know, it's interesting because I'm listening to this this Woj and, you know, I think Gavoni was on this pod, and they were talking about Jalen Green going – to the G League and how their recruitment process differed from the past. And it was a lot of, you know, they they wanted to create more of an incentive, um, whether it be, you know, monetary or training-wise. They wanted to give players a path that allowed them to make money while not having to go 12, 13 hours across an ocean, uh, you know, away from their families. Exactly. So I think the G League... Really, really succeeded in what they wanted to do. I mean, they got three top 15 guys and, you know, they're not going to be able to do this for every single prospect. You know, they're not going to be able to do it for these four and three star guys. It's it's definitely
0: the top 15 guys.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, top 15, if not top 10. I think that's, you know, set in stone. People don't realize how much money the NCAA is going to lose from Jalen Green not oh, yeah. playing college basketball. Of course, it's an incredible amount of money.
0: A it's lot more. It's even more, than, it's even more than RJ Hampton.
1: Oh yeah. It's probably He's gonna, I mean, Lamelo
0: Ball-esque area money.
1: Oh yeah, if not more, because Lamelo Ball wasn't really, you know, he was considered I think a top 15 recruit, not really. College top wasn't
0: on the landscape for him though. Right.
1: Yeah, exactly. They didn't really lose money on him after what happened to, you know, Leangelo and Lithuania and all that. But Jalen Green was considered a consensus top three prospect, would be the number one overall pick in this draft if he were draft eligible. So them losing out on him means they're probably going to lose out on a ton more prospects in the future. And I think it could pave the way towards them allowing player likeness, um, you know, Letting players profit off of their names, basically.
0: Yeah, you look at it from an NCAA standpoint. You have to consider the G League as an enemy now, um, for sure. Especially if you want to kind of um, you know retain a lot of some of your money that you're really investing. But like you said, Jalen Green is a huge blow, and we we start to see other top recruits follow suit. Isaiah Todd, a guy that had always considered pro options, even when he committed to Michigan, they still thought pro was going to be on the table. It was he's off to play on the same team as Jalen Green. Dacian Nix, I really hadn't heard too much about him in the pro route, but um, it shows you how quickly things can change. I think that, you know, the main incentive is it's got to be monetary because, you know, G League doesn't necessarily get a ton of uh, exposure, although I think that this new Los Angeles team will. But in general, it just doesn't. Not many um, G League games are televised, and um, I think you, you're going to see more exposure in college. But like you said, um you know, being able to secure your financial future right away instead of, you know, risking risking it in college definitely poses the question of uh, what's the NCAA's next move on the the chessboard. And it has to be some form of allowing players to benefit off their likeness. I agree with you. So, really, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, one, how many more recruits follow suit because eventually you're going to force the NCAA's hand because I think, you know... It's going to be interesting to see when they make a move just because they fear they may overreact and, you know, you don't want to overreact. But I think right now, I don't think the NCAA makes a rule or any legislation because of the, you know, the uh, pending one and done change in the next couple of seasons, which really would, you know, kind of eliminate, you know, the whole G League talk right now because it would talk about just straight draft. And that's a whole different animal. We go back to, you know, the LeBron, Carmelo, Kobe era where players can just jump right out of high school. So I'm interested in seeing, I think, you know, if you if you had to guess, does this rule or does this you know movement by the G League to secure top players? Does this speed up the one and done legislation or does it kind of put it on a halt?
1: So from what I understand, the NBA or at least the owners of the NBA want a bargaining chip. In order to allow the players to get rid of the one and done rule. And from what I understand, they want the players or all the agents to have to release all the medical records for any prospect. They want all it, of the information. Isn't it the, isn't it the
0: NBA that, um, it, the, what I, my understanding is, the NCAA has no you know, power over implementing that one and done rule? It's, it's a completely rule. No, it's a complete it's rule all that's violated by the NBA.
1: Right. It's between the Players Association and the league. And what the league wants to do is they want to have all the medicals available for all the teams so that agents cannot pick and choose which teams have to take higher risks in selecting certain
0: players. Wouldn't you think, though, if you're the NBA or if you're the Players Association, you know, wouldn't you think that, you know, eliminating that year of college wouldn't that benefit the players in the long run or I mean maybe I'm just thinking about it in a different way but I I don't really see why the players association would be you know not open to allowing players to jump right into the league especially if it means you know getting prominent names to the league quicker
1: so it's all about control and if you can control where certain players go I guess it it helps their long-term careers, but at the same time, if you allow, you know, these 18 year olds and, you know, it's only going to be four or five guys per year. And the, yeah. the, NBA, the I mean, the, um, the players association wants to help whoever's going to be the most. They don't necessarily like whoever it affects the most. They don't want it to be, you know, just these top guys. Um, and I think that's what they're looking at. So, you know, how many players are affected by medicals each year going into the draft? Versus how many are going to jump from college. Uh, they're just going to jump it straight into the pros. And I think that's what right. the MVP is looking at right now. And um, Makes sense. I think, you know, the, the college one year, I mean, if you're going to spend one year in college, it could either improve or lower your stock. I mean, it's, it's basically a stock market. You know, there's high risk. Chloe
0: Whitney was a top, a top ten recruit, and the guy is not even on any mock drives. I just to right. show you how things can change.
1: But if he decided to, say, go to New Zealand to play basketball for a year, he would probably still be a top 20 pick.
0: Oh, of course, because, I mean, there's so not there, so much film on him that would uh, really, you know, maximize his weaknesses.
1: Right. So, I mean, if you go to the G League or if you go overseas or, you know, wherever, if you skip it for a year. That's a low-risk option for these players. Now, again, college, if you just go straight in, you're going to have a ton of film. That's a higher-risk option, but the re- potential reward is just so much greater. So I do think the G League gives them another option, and I think that's a great thing. But at the same time, from the NBA's perspective, uh, trying to get rid of the one-and-done rule as you know, just a bargaining chip, I think it's going to end up biting them in the back because of a lot of revenue money that they're going to lose.
0: That's true. I I understand that. If I'm the G League, however, on a different note, I'm I'm you know, I'm calling Cade Cunningham every second of the day. Oh, yeah. If I'm getting Absolutely. Jalen green. I'm like, oh, Gore, Cade Cunningham would be a, a slam dunk. Why not put him on the same team talking about generating more revenue? uh, That is uh, that'd be great. But, you know, you're also going to get every team's best shot because, you know, as much as it gets overlooked, you know, hot shot 17 and 18 year old kids coming into teams thinking that they're going to have it by the, you know, the world by the tail, you know, kind of can piss off veterans and guys who have had to, you know, get it out, get it out the grind and all that. So it's going to be interesting to see. But uh, I think we can both agree that Kate Cunningham ha- is going to be, you know, the, the top guy that we're all looking forward to watching next year. I just really hope that Oklahoma State doesn't, you know, pull a Georgia and not give him any help like Anthony Edwards didn't get, but um, I really, really am fascinated by Cunningham's game, and I'm really excited to see him play.
1: Yeah, if I personally were Cade Cunningham, I would go straight to the G League at this point. Oh yeah, for sure. Because um, honestly, if you're Cade Cunningham, what do you have to lose by going to the G League? So you're not gonna get your five. Nothing. You're gonna get your five hundred thousand dollars, right? You're going to get your multi-million dollar shoe deal. You're just going to secure that, and it's just going to roll over to next year, and you're going to get your NBA con- contract that's a top three pick. What do you and have if to you're
0: lose a, from that? If you're a player of that caliber like Kate Cunningham, you have to be betting on yourself that you're going to succeed in the G League anyway. So, I mean, you should be viewing it not as, you know, a a high-risk, high-reward, but more of a a high-reward because, you know, guys like him and Jalen Green, the potential is so great that even if they do struggle a little bit next year, you're still looking maybe number one and number two pick, barring, you know, any significant injury or something like that. But I'm really looking forward to Cunningham play. When you do look at the, the, the recruits that are going to college or right now are set to go to college, you know. Who else besides Cunningham stands out as a guy you're like, yeah, I'm really excited to watch him play?
1: Honestly, I was all in on Jalen Green. I thought he was going to go to Memphis. I guess I'm wrong now. But, I mean, I think it's just, you know, it's just so interesting because Jalen Green's decision, I mean, he had like three or four hats. I think it was Auburn, Memphis, and the last one was like the NBL right? So he had like this NBL hat and that's the one he chose, of course. Um, I mean, it's just, it's so, so fascinating. Yeah. Uh, I, it's just so interesting to see how it's going to affect both the NCAA and the NBA moving forward. Um, honestly, I'm just not that big into recruiting. I'm just more like, you know, once they get in college and once you right. can actually scout them.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if you've seen him play on, but um, his hoop mixtapes are so phenomenal. Sharif Cooper, the point guard that's going to Auburn, um, if you haven't watched him or anybody listening hasn't watched him, definitely go watch him because he, you know, he has that it factor. If there's ever been a player, he has that Colin Sexton mentality with more of a point guard you know role. So I really think Colin Sexton's a good um, – a good comparison there. Josh Christopher is another one. I'm, I'm kind of still on the fence about him, but definitely he's a guy who can jump out of the gym and I love the athleticism going there. There's a like you said, though, I mean, top recruits still have to prove themselves in college. And uh, we've had some guys that haven't been top recruits and, you know, looking at top 10 picks. So, um, you know, kind of moving forward, we're going to take a little bit of a, a turn to the draft side of things. Um, so, really, when we look about, you know, there, right now, the draft is on. And, you know, a lot of NBA GMs and owners are pushing for it to um, be postponed till August or September. I guess it really just depends on, you know, if they plan on having the NBA season. But, you know, if a lot of it comes to a lot of teams are going to be scouting in the dark virtually, you know, with a blindfold on. And uh, they kind of want to get a lot more time to analyze them. But let's just assume that, you know, there will be no combine. And, um, you know, there will be minimal in-home workouts. Who are some of the players that you think benefit from that?
1: Uh, you know, looking at it first off, I mean, the, I don't think the draft lottery has been delayed yet. So I think that's just something to look out for. It's supposed to happen in 17 days. I'm not sure if it does happen. Uh, but I would almost bet
0: money that it doesn't with the way things are going.
1: With the way things are going, yeah, but at the same time, if the NBA is not confident that they can reschedule the draft, because I do believe that the Players Association has to agree to any movement of that, that is true. and any movement of that has to affect agency free well. agency, and I highly, highly, highly doubt that that the nbpa is going to ever agree to postpone free agency
0: yeah but at the same time you know it's a it's a two-way street because you would have to postpone free agency if you want to continue the season and that exactly be weighing on you know that's got to be weighing on the players as well like i mean chris paul and lebron let's be let's be real lebron's word holds weight chris paul is the president of the nbpa both of those guys are at the very end of their – well, I mean, LeBron, who knows? But Chris Paul is at the end of his career virtually. I mean, he is out of his prime. He's getting to where, you know, he the end is near in the next couple of seasons. You know, if you're Chris Paul and guys like LeBron, you know, how much do their opinions go into making this decision is going to be the main thing. But – um like you said, I think it's just going to r- really be interesting. We're in some un- unchartered territory, and we're going to have to kind of see how the NBA and the NBPA navigate it. But if I'm looking at one player in particular, and I wrote an article about this for the Big Red, the Louis Louisville's fan-sided page, I think Jordan Wara is a player that primarily benefits from not having a draft combine and there being limited home, uh, limited in-person workouts because you know it limits the amount of – Risks that the uh, GMs, the respective teams are go- are willing to take. I think Nora uh, has a relatively low ceiling. I just really have question, or relatively low floor. I just really have questions about his ceiling. But he is what could be considered a safe pick, and he, you know, he's he's produced and he's a decorated college player, first team All ACC, third team All American by AP. So I really think Jordan Nwora is a guy who's benefit who could benefit a lot from there being no in in-person workouts.
1: Yeah, I honestly think that if the combine were to still happen, I think that he would I mean his stock would fall off a of cliff in my opinion. I, I I agree. I just I don't think that he's a type of player that rises to the occasion when he needs to and I'm a little little
0: faint I can uh I can uh echo that sentiment
1: I think any player that got hurt this year or played overseas or has just a smaller sample size than the average college player I think they their stock is just it hurts so much more because general managers are generally conservative and they don't want to take a risk on a player who only played 13 games this past season Exactly. So I think guys I'm like Lamelo Aaron, Ball. Oh yeah, Lamelo Ball, R.J. Hampton, um, Aaron Nesmith. Uh, I think Cole Anthony as well. All of these guys, it it dramatically hurts their stock by not having you know in in you know in gym workouts with all these different teams, not having the combine to prove themselves against these other other guys in five on five. So it really really hurts those players.
0: I also think it, I agree with the RJ Hampton sentiment. I really think he was a guy that could potentially shoot himself up into that top five if he was able to work out in, in person. But, um, I think, you know, another trend of players that are going to get hurt are those extremely athletic and long players that are just raw talent wise, but you know, they have potential and they show that in person, uh, you know, CC, um, Precious Achua, Jada McDaniels are two players that, you know, are guys people could take stabs on in the first round um, earlier than they probably should go just because, you know, they had the physical measurements and they're just um, athletic specimens. Those are two guys that I really could see that, that this would hurt their stock as well.
1: I think the one guy that that probably isn't true with is James Wiseman, though. Yeah, because I do think if he were to play, you know, combine five on fives or I think if he I think that hurts workouts, him anyway. I,
0: yeah, I think it hurts him if he does do the combine yeah, exactly. five on five.
1: So, I mean, I'm obviously lower on him. I know you're lower on him, too. But yeah. I think if he were to play in those, then it would generally hurt him. So I think by all of this not happening, I think it actually somehow helps him.
0: I think it also helps guys like, uh, you know. Devon Dotson and Trey Jones they they ride a high college production you know they're not physically imposing I know you and I are very very high on Dotson Um, Trey Jones not so much but two guys you know I think you're gonna see it help the guys who have produced a ton in the college ranks but haven't garnered a lot of um, draft hype and it's gonna hurt guys that you know are more raw prospects, but are more physically imposing. So um, there, it's definitely going to be interesting to see, you know, what does the NBA decide in terms of the draft process? I know the country's really slated. It's probably going to be opened up here in the within the next month, which is really going to be interesting to see how, you know, that serves as a precedent for, you know, the months to come. But I, I really – and intrigued, but I really want to echo that Wiseman sentiment. I think him not playing helps him out more than him playing, even in, like, the college ball.
1: Yeah, I mean, we said it when he got suspended and just decided, you know what, I'm not going back to Memphis. We both said that, I, you know, I think it helps him to not play college basketball, because neither of us really thought he was all that.
0: And he, he really didn't play that well against, I think it was Oregon? He, I believe he got he in foul trouble. Georgia?
1: Yeah. He exactly. got in foul trouble in the first half, and then he just wasn't physically dominant in the and second Precious
0: half. And Precious Achua was the same way. He struggled against Auburn, or he struggled against Oregon as well. But So I, I think you're right. I know, but, uh, you know, moving on a little bit, I know you just released your uh, most recent big board. I want to say, you know, yesterday or today, I forget, time is moving in a blur. But um, I'll be releasing mine at the, the start of uh, the fifth month of the year, which is here in I believe Friday. So, uh, I want to get your biggest risers. I've saw them, but I want to see. I want. I want you to tell your tale of you know why a guy like Tyrese Halliburton is now in your top five.
1: Yeah. So I had Halliburton in my top ten. I think it was my tenth overall prospect um, in my last big board release, but I moved him all the way up to my fourth overall player, only behind Hayes, Akonwu, and Ball. Uh, he's just A really, really smart, uh, really, really interesting sort of player. He's a great shooter. Um, he has spectacular off-ball defensive mechanics. Uh, I think he's, his creation ability is really, really interesting, especially when he's driving to the basket. He seems to be more passive when he's driving to the basket than when he actually finishes. Um, I just think he's just super interesting, the way he goes about playing basketball. He's unorthodox, I'll say that. I think he's six six and like 195, or something like that. He's yeah, really, he's, really he's a weird
0: he, He's a weird build.
1: He, I mean, I think that's... I think he has a lot of potential to fill in that frame, though, and become more of a driver. I think we saw it with Shagel, just Alexander, a couple of years back. I mean, he was real thin at Kentucky. And, I mean, he's really grown, and he's probably one of the best guards at finishing inside now. I think that Halliburton, I think his transition game is probably really... I think it's probably top three in this class, if I'm being honest. The way he just goes about dishing it to teammates while he's on the run, um, no-look passes, stuff like that. It's really hard to find a flaw in his game that isn't finishing at the basket. And even him finishing at the basket is at an above average rate when you're talking about field goal percentage?
0: The only knock I have on him, he is a good shooter, but that shooting form that shot. Yeah. It's got a major hitch in it and he has to, he has to refine it a little bit because he's never going to be able to create, you know, the jumper off of the dribble without, you know, he's got to, he's got to do something like Lonzo ball. He has to, Refine the mechanics to where it's a smoother release that's more fluid and cohesive with the way his body moves. That's the only have yeah. on yeah, him.
1: Yeah, his shot is kind of forward, like it's sort of like in. Front he of knocks his body. it
0: down. He can. He does. He, he shoots well from deep, but the thing about it is he'll never be he, a threat unless he can refine it because you know, I mean, he he can shoot when he's left wide open, but. Um, oh yeah. Uh, but I agree with you. I really love his transition game. I think you know he has eye, literally eyes in the back of his head. He does remind me of Shea gilgis Alexander by the way that he understands the game. The game never seems too fast for him. He doesn't really yeah, get his too feel rattled. For the game is incredible. So it, it's really I, it might be probably best in the class. Maybe Killian Hayes is up there with him in a, a, a conku. But I agree. Uh, Halliburton's going to be rising in my board on. Uh, May 1st I you know I really love his passing I love how he's going to be able to dominate the pick and roll he's such a good um you know uh dominant ball handler and the thing about it is not just the pick and roll but he's so good at you know knowing when to kick out knowing when to go to the rim he's just so intelligent and that that kind of gets overlooked he's not the most athletic although he's got some sneaky athleticism and balance he's good for his size but I really love his vision his vision is excellent probably the best passer in the class Besides, yeah, maybe he, Hayes. He will at
1: least be a solid starter in the NBA just because of his passing. I think that you can't understate that enough because of his pass. And his, I mean, his defense as well. I mean, it's not, he's not a bad defender either. Especially off-ball, which he's just incredible at. Um, right. This next guy, though, uh, I'm not, I think you like him. I'm not too sure. But I went back and watched all 13 of his games. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Aaron Nesmith. Is incredible. He's a beast. He he rose from 13 to eight on my big board. And it's hard to
0: jump five spots in the top 15.
1: It's hard. It's really really hard. He did it. He can hit the three from anywhere on the floor. It doesn't matter if it's contested. It doesn't matter if it's open. It doesn't matter if it's from the logo. He can make it. He shot above 50% on both college threes and threes. From behind the NBA arc, he's oh, just he, so nuts. so good at that, and I think his defense too. I think his defense makes him a can't miss prospect.
0: Well, he's, he's a, he's a, a solid a ball two, defender. He's literally the definition of a three and D. Like it's it's insane. It's not just
1: that, but I think he can create his own shot off the dribble as well. I think it can be sort of creative in that manner as well. I'm not sure he'll ever be you know a good creator for you know his teammates or anything, but if you put yeah. him at small and forward he probably he guard, probably
0: won't you know guys that size really are good creators for their teammates though
1: exactly. I think that you know there are three main traits that I look at that you know you can't miss on. There's passing, which I mean, all the top point guards in this class sort of have. If you are an elite passer, you are not going to fail. You will at least be a starter. Every team needs a ball distributor. If you are a shooter, you will not fail, especially in today's NBA. If you're a shooter, as long as that shot translates, you will
0: see the court. Now, how much you yeah. see the court depends on other traits, but you will see the court if you can hit down the deep ball. Oh, ben yeah. McElmoore, to be exact.
1: Yep, exactly. I mean, he's he's technically a bust because of how high he was drafted, but, but he's still a rotational is, player.
0: Exactly, because he shoots threes. He's such a good shooter, that's why he played for the Houston Rockets. When I think of Aaron Nesmith, there was one player that came to mind when I watched his highlights. Can you guess that one player?
1: That one player? I, I thought of Clay Thompson.
0: This might be a little bit of a reach. I thought of Paul George. Paul George? Here's why. I think that... Paul George Paul George is better in creating his own offense. You know, he's just he's so crafty on, in terms of his offensive arsenal. But the way that Nesmith can get to his spot and knock down a three pointer is Paul George-esque. And he's good defensively, which Paul George is as well. He's not as big as Paul in terms of, you know, the strength. I don't think he's ever be able to, he's ever really gonna be able to be efficient in putting the ball to the court and attacking the hoop. But I think he's just so crafty of a guy getting his shot off from deep. It really reminds me of PG.
1: I think that his off-ball movements, uh, you know, when he's moving uh, from off screens on the perimeter, and the way he just flows right into his shot, that just reminds me so much of Klay Thompson. Yeah, uh, I agree. I mean, I just I, I the, love the, Smith.
0: The form, the form is so pure too. It, oh yeah, his it, form it
1: is best in this class. He it flows
0: is, so well.
1: His shooting is going to translate, and his defense is going to translate. I will be shocked if he is a bust in the NBA.
0: We will see. We will see. Um, Another guy that I had rising, um, it, it's really kind of a small rise because we don't see too much rising going on right now, more falling than anything. Uh, Josh Green from Arizona. I've seen his name kind of go up as well, trending upward, and I can see why after really watching film. You know, often overlooked by the mediocrity of, you know, the Wildcats team this past year and the fact that you have guys like Nico Mannion and Zeke Najee on the squad. Josh Green is solid defensively and in shooting the ball. He might be one of the, you know, top ten best on-ball defenders in the NCAA this past year. I think he's got the, you know, the defense and the shooting to be able to, um, you know, really succeed at the next level, maybe not right away. It might take the right fit, but I do like the way his game translates. I also like, yeah, he's extremely athletic and you wouldn't really, you wouldn't really see that when he plays, but he shows it in flashes and he's going to be a little raw, but I do like his progression and I could see him being in that, the latter half of the top 15 or maybe top 20 on my board.
1: Yeah, I think his defense is really, really solid. I think that's definitely going to translate to the next level. Uh, I'd like to see him fill in his frame just a little bit more. Uh, I think his athleticism just makes him a really appealing sort of transition player, especially, you know, so just somebody running the floor with your point guard. I, I'm i not sure his shooting is quite their elite level. Um, nah, I think he'll, he'll probably be like a... 33 to 35 percent shooter at the NBA level, nothing too special, but enough to where, you know, he's he's a solid, consistent guy.
0: Right. I I agree. Uh, You know, I don't think he's going to be one of the elite in this class, but I I think that he's a viable catch and shoot option. I think his defense, you know, he kind of reminds me of um, a less intensive Matisse Thibel, maybe a little bit more um, a little bit more athletic. But defensive traits and characteristics, he's very, you know, stubborn as an on-ball defender. Makes you work for every single inch that you get in the half-court. I think he's very attentive and he just understands, you know, team defense so well. Kind of is Thybul-esque. But um, thinking of, do you have any other guys that you would think have risen a lot in your board?
1: I want to talk about Devon Dotson
0: because I bet, uh, he we is incredible.
1: We stand. I, I hate-
0: can, can I can I go on a little rant? It's a little it's go a ahead. small one, but I cannot stand how people blow his shooting woes out of proportion. I can't I, stand, I hate I also hate how people think that he's not good size. He's six two, which isn't the tallest, but he's a junkyard dog.
1: He's a pure point guard. He reminds me a lot of Fred Van Vliet. I think that his scoring inside, he's not as good of a shooter as Fred Van Vliet, Uh, nor is, I think he's a lot better of a driver, though. Like, he can he get to the rim, and he's really efficient he's at quick. the rim he's as well. Very, he's very,
0: very quick.
1: He's probably the quickest player in this draft class. He's just very, very, very fast. Uh, his on-ball defense is suffocating as well. He's just a really good on-ball defender. And that's going to make that, up
0: for that lack of size as well. Oh, yeah.
1: I don't know that he'll be able to guard, you know, your 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, wings. But I think that he can guard most 1s and 2s at the NBA level. um, Just enough to where you can have maybe a good shooter, bad defender type of player next to him. Like, you know, we talked about it at Ben McElmore early on. I think that he... He's, pro- I think he entered the top 20 of my board in this latest one, but I wouldn't be surprised if he got up into the lottery. He's just a solid, solid player, and I could see him succeeding at the next level very easily. People tend to
0: overthink point guards too. He is a good one. Honestly, just think it's him being more attentive to trying to set his teammates up than, you know, score from deep himself. So I think it's just a matter of mindset. But I really think that, you know, the shooting translates.
1: I agree. Uh do you have any major fallers oh, on your Oh, Of course. Big board?
0: Of course. <laughs> um, I think the number one's gotta be Denny Abdija.
1: Oh yeah, I agree with that. Uh, he's my number one as well.
0: Yeah, he um, just seeing that uh stat that he's shooting under twenty five percent from deep is yeah. not good for a player who you know, he's he's smaller and st- he's six nine, but he definitely needs to put on some weight. I understand, you know, he's a good passer for his size. He's he's good at you know, handling the ball, being a good distributor in the transition, but if you are that size and you can't shoot, and it's not like he's a very good on ball defender or does other things extremely well, you know, scoring is was kind of his call to fame anyway. Showing that he has trouble shooting in, you know, the Israeli league, that's very discouraging
1: especially when he's not shooting above, like, 55% from the free throw line either. That's yeah, just, it that is really scary. Yeah. Oh, no. I mean, that's my main thing with Abdisha. That's why he dropped four or five places on my board. I had him as a top five guy, but I moved him all the way down to 10. If he can't shoot, that loses a lot of interest from NBA teams. That loses a lot of interest from myself. Um, you could see especially, a drop
0: a lot with that, just from that stat alone.
1: Oh, yeah from that stat alone I don't think he's going to have the ball in his hands enough to where he's going to be your primary playmaker anyway. He's probably more like a secondary or tertiary playmaker. I don't I just I don't think he's going to have enough, you know, to to make up for that lack of shooting. And his defense it's it's okay. It's probably average. It's not too spectacular, but I'm just I'm not a big fan right now.
0: I agree and I think another you know, European prospect that I'm really losing a lot of, you know, uh, interest on is Theo Maladon. Um, oh, yeah.
1: He's my number. Mother- <laughs> yeah,
0: great minds think alike, Dylan. But um, uh, <laughs> here's the thing. I, lo- I think that he's a top three passer in the class. I love his vision. I think that he's good. Uh, he's a good ball handler and a pick and roll ball handler. But he doesn't have much burst at all. He struggles with getting. Uh, by European bigs, and if he can't get by European bigs, he won't be able to get past NBA bigs, and he won't be able to get past NBA bigs. He won't be able to get past NBA guards, thus making his, you know, his effectiveness go down. Um, not only that, but he can, becomes less less productive in, you know, the half court and the pick and roll because people are just going to be playing it over, and he's not the best shooter. Um, I honestly think, you know, he struggled from the three point line, if I if I remember correctly, I just I'm not high on him. You know, I was coming into the college basketball season. He was a top 10 prospect, I think, like number seven, if I want to make sure. But um, he's really dropping down and I I really have questions of whether I'm going to put him in my top 15 or not.
1: Yeah, so my thing with Melodon is he didn't really improve from last year to this year. Uh his shooting splits did go up slightly, but it's not enough to where, you know, he solidly, you know, got better. I think he'll be an okay shooter at the next level. He shot like 37% from three, but he shot sub-70% from the free throw line, so that is a little bit concerning. Um, his turnover ratio also went up slightly, I believe, so... Right. I haven't I haven't watched too much Theo Maladon, but I think he's sitting in my mid-20s right now. I had him as a top-10 prospect, but he just... He really didn't get much better.
0: And and the question that strikes me with him as why he's dropping is, you, you think about Maladon. You cannot pinpoint one thing that he does exceptionally well outside of maybe passing. And I think that takes a hit because of his lack of athleticism and burst. But you can't find one thing he does exceptionally well that would warrant him to be a top 10, maybe even a lottery pick.
1: I agree. Like if you want a point guard at that stage in the draft, I mean we just talked about him, Devon Dotson, or maybe like Akira Lewis type of player.
0: Exactly. Guys who have burst. I mean you I would rather have a player who's um, you know, maybe less of a passer but has more burst than uh, you know, I I if I had to pick between those three, I'm taking Dotson, then Lewis, or maybe Lewis then Dotson, switch those two however much you want. I'm taking Maladon third just because I believe in those other two as passers, and I do believe in Maladon as one, but there's so much of a seal, of a ceiling limitation with that lack of athleticism off the off the jump. So,
1: yeah, it's just it's this it's discouraging to see. I like foreign prospects; I tend to cheer for them. Just after the whole Luka Doncic thing happened, but you know, it's just it's really I mean, I'm disappointed. Here, here in reminds, he
0: reminds me of a future Dante, Dante Exum.
1: Oh, yeah, that's exactly what I was about to say.
0: A guy uh, that bounces he's just, around?
1: He's just not that great of a prospect, and I think he's going to probably be overhyped. He could be taken in the lottery, although I'm not necessarily if sure I does, see I'll that. he
0: does, I'll definitely be you know, slightly concerned for whoever picks him. I just don't see a high ceiling there. Uh, I think he would really benefit going to a team that really doesn't need him but could use him. I think that's his best-case scenario. Uh, letting him, you know, try to develop and find his niche in the league before he gets thrown into the fire is really probably the best case scenario. Another guy that I think, you know, not necessarily a big faller, I do think he's sliding a bit because when you watch his offense, you see the potential, but there wasn't a ton of production at the college level. Part of that was because of the system. Part of that was just because, you know, I think he's still trying to find himself. Isaac Okoro has taken a small slide.
1: Yeah, I, I think he he was my number one player for a very, very long time. Uh, he's not anymore. I think he's top seven or six for me. But, you know, I am a believer that the shot will come around and I'm a believer in his secondary playmaking. The defense is the big thing with him. He's not going to fail simply because he's an excellent defender. Uh, you know, he can play either forward spot and he's just he's good on ball. He's good off ball. I think that if his scoring does come around if his long term, you know, shooting actually goes up, I am a believer in his clutch ability. I think he's just he was unbelievable within the last 3 minutes of a game at Auburn. He was just incredible every single play. He was just dialed in. I also, I think he's falling simply because I like other guys more. And as I watch other players, he's just falling slightly because I like these other guys a lot.
0: And he's just, his game's not fun to watch, really. I mean, it's fun to watch, you know, being like a draft nerd that I am. But at the same time, like, he's not flashy. He's solid. He's not flashy. I think that's kind of why I'm drawing off, you know. We watch guys like Killian Hayes, you're like, oh, damn. And then you watch LaMelo and you're like, Jesus Christ. And then Halliburton just wows you with all the stuff that he does. You know, Isaac Coro does not do, except for defense, you know, he doesn't do anything great on the offensive end. He has an extreme amount of potential to be good on the offensive end, but I think he's going to make a lot of his money on the defensive end. So um, in terms of uh, any more followers, are there anybody on your list?
1: I think, you know, we hit the main two in Abdesia and Maladon, the two international guys. I just, I'm a little bit concerned that they're still going to go a little bit too high, probably to one of my favorite teams. So, (laughs) you know, (laughs) yeah, I'm hopeful, though. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, I hope that, you know, they they end up being able to prove themselves, whether it be at like a combine or something. If that even happens, I'm not sure it will. But, you know, we'll see. It'll be interesting.
0: So the last thing I tasked us with, I thought, it was pretty, I thought it was pretty fun. It was a good exercise. It was fun. Uh, uh, so I, I asked us to both pick teams. Um, we were to pick uh, uh, a starting five for the future from this draft class. You got uh, a top five pick, someone in the top ten, two players of first-round grades, not in the top ten, and then one in the second to undrafted range. So let's start off. Who, who was your top five pick?
1: My top five pick was Isaac Okoro, and I know we kind of just trashed him a little bit, but you know, I started looking at it like there's a lot of really good guards that are going to be available in like the late first round or and even in the second round. I mean a guy like Desmond Bain or some other player like Cassius uh Winston or something like that. There's just a ton of guards later on that, you know, you could snag and just complete this team with. So I went with um I went with Isaac Okoro. I think he's going to be a really solid defender he's probably a glue guy i've got another glue guy that we're going to talk about in a second but he's just really really solid and um him paired with my other front court player are going to be really scary
0: <laughs> uh who are what was a concu in the ratings what did they have six.
1: him six so <laughs> i used espn's rankings so, so yeah
0: I... <laughs> I also uh, let's just go ahead i'm gonna go ahead and uh you know i'm gonna go ahead and mention that when i also picked a concu I was uh, very happy with this pick. Um, I think, you know, he's the best big man prospect by a long mile. Oh, yeah. It's not even close. I mean, he's going to be effective on both ends of the court. I don't really think there's that big of a floor with him, but the ceiling is so high, so, so high with him. I, I have tons of faith in his game. I think he pairs well with my top pick, LaMelo Ball. Um, you nice. know, I, I watch Lavelle and I just think, you know, this is a this is a guy that changes a franchise. Uh, you know, he might not ever be one of the like an NBA great, but the guy is just phenomenal. And people, you know, talk about uh, his carelessness. I think you know, he's really improved that ever since, you know, he was 16 years old. I think him going overseas, he, his vision has improved somehow. He makes these passes that I'm not sure how they get made. He's a three-level scorer who can create his own shot on a dime. He's shifty, a six-eight point guard. I mean, you don't come by those often. And you know he's, um, you know he's athletic for his size, but I, I don't think he'll ever be a great defender. But he's definitely gonna be serviceable in that category because of that size. So I had to go with Lamelo, and I feel really confident pairing him with Anyeka.
1: Yeah. So I mean, we had a top five guy, a top ten guy. Who were your two first-round players that you had?
0: I had Sadiq Bay and Aaron Nesmith. Nice, nice. I had uh, Aaron know, Nesmith and Tyrese Maxey. Yeah, I like that. I went with – I know we probably went with Nesmith because, you know, you get the three and do – you get the guy who can shoot the lights out, shoot at a high percentage, and a guy who can play really good defense as well. I love sticking him on Yeka because, you know, I think Yeka is going to be able to man the paint, and Nesmith is going to be, you know, switchable defensively between you know the two the three and sometimes the four depending on who he's matching up against size wise I love Nesma's fit in both of our teams honestly
1: yeah so what I did is you know I've got two through five right now so all four of these players are extremely good at defense Tyrese Maxey is a plus defender. Aaron Nesmith is really, really good. Akoro and Akonku are probably the two best defenders in this class. So I think that this team is going to be suffocating on defense. I've got a second-round player still that I'm really excited about, but I love the fit with Maxey and Nesmith being able to shoot the ball. Being able to create for themselves. Isaac Okoro, I'm not sure that he would really have much of a role on this offense, other than being sort of a pick man in that pick and roll game. Same with the Konkwu as well. I think he, I think they both have shooting upside, but as far as who's gonna actually shoot on this team, it's probably gonna be Maxi and Nesmith.
0: You do get, uh, yeah, you do get um, that defense with the Coral though, which really, really. Fits. Oh yeah. Um, I went with Sadiq Bay because I'm the president of his fan club. So I'm uh, entitled, <laughs> I'm obligated under contract to do so, but no, in, in all seriousness, I think, you know, he's a little bit better of a creator than Nesmith, a little bit, uh, a notch blower as a shooter, but I think just as good of a defender. I think both of them, you know, fulfill their roles. They can guard multiple positions through the two, three, four. They're going to be able to play alongside of each other because they understand the concept of team ball. Uh, you know, I, I really, you know, what what is there to be said that has been said, you know, by me about Sadiq Bey? But I want to hear, you say you're excited about the second-round prospect. I've got to hear who it is.
1: We just talked about him, Devon Dotson.
0: Oh, okay, I thought you were going to go Desmond Bain, because i No,
1: he's good, though. He's really, really good, I'll say that. Desmond Bain is, he's a quality player. I think he's going to fall a little bit just due to his age, and he's really not even that old. He's 21 years old, which is, I mean... I've seen some people say that he's going to fall because of his age, but I don't really, you know, I mean, he's still not even that old, but I mean, he's a solid shooter, solid defender, just a pro ready player that's going to be able to, to start. Well, not start, but have a, a rotational role right away for any NBA team. But as far as Dotson, you know, he's just a quick scorer that, you know, he has solid on ball defense as well. I'm excited about the defensive versatility between this whole team between Dotson, Maxi, Netsmith, Akoro, and Okonkwu, I think there's a lot of, you know, switching that could happen. Um, probably the best defensive lineup you could make, uh, you know, just between the options that we were given. There's just a lot of potential there too, offensively, between Dotson, hopefully opening up his game as more of a shooter. I know he shot 31%, and I know you said that you are a firm believer in a shooter. Uh, I believe so as well, and Maxi too. I think his shot was a little bit – I think it was below 30%, but his form, his free-throw shooting indicates he will be very, very good at the next level. So I prioritize defense, shooting, and speed. So, I mean, I love this team.
0: <laughs> so when I looked at, you know, the second round and who uh, – or even undrafted guys, that I thought, you know, would be a nice guy to plug in, I, I don't see any glaring holes. We have the offense. I think, you know, Sadiq – Aaron and uh, LaMelo really get that part of the court covered, I think, and Yeka too. So uh, I thought about, you know, do I need to add shooting? Well, no, because I have three guys who can hit threes from half court. So uh, you know, I looked at, do I need defense? Well, no, I mean, I've got three guys that are going to be extremely good at the defensive position. So I'm thinking, well, you know, who is the guy that I could stick in there that would just make sense you know, I thought about adding athleticism, so I went with Keshia Stanley. I know he's a little nice. bit more. I, I know he's a little bit more of a, a raw prospect in terms of a you know a production, but I, I love the athleticism. Has a higher vertical than Zion Williamson does, which is insane considering you know that guy can jump out of the building. But um, I, I think that you know Stanley offers a good option outside of Lamelo. You know, you get an explosive backcourt. A uh, defensive lead going to be interesting, but the good thing is, you know, Nesmith and Bay can guard the best offensive players on the other team in the backcourt and, you know, the three and the four. But, um, yeah, I, I like Stanley's size. You know, he's listed at 6'6", six, six, so my lineup is extremely big, 6'8", 6'6", 6'8". And I think Nesmith was 6'8", 6'7", 6'9", range. And then you got in who's that six? Six nine, six eleven range. I think he's still growing as well. So with the long wingspan. So, I mean, I've got the defense and the three guys in the front court. The athleticism is there with Stanley and a I've got the shooting with LaMelo, um, Sadiq and Aaron. I just think, you know, all around it's, it's a nice lineup. I think, you know, on the boards, we might get hurt a little bit just because, you know, Sadiq and Aaron are more, are not necessarily a stocky, so if we play a team that, you know, has an oversized four will be tough, but I really think, you know, who's going to stop us is the question.
1: Yeah, so I mean, my team is kind of undersized. I mean, Dotson, he's, you know, average point guard size, but Tyrese Maxey is 6'2", I believe. Uh, Pretty undersized for a two guard. Aaron Nesmith, I think, is like 6'6", sort of range so I mean I think he's got a solid wingspan so I mean he's probably average for a three I think Isaac Okoro is more of a of a small forward at the next level but I've got him playing power forward here and then Onyeka Okonkwu is six, nine for now but he's probably going to grow into like six ten, six eleven sort of range but overall it's you know it's pretty small but I, I'm a firm believer in the defense of my team
0: I agree so do us a favor Dylan and plug us into your social media
1: yeah so I changed it again <laughs> um, I know <laughs> I say this every time we have a podcast, but it's at NBA draft Dylan. So it's pretty easy. Uh, you can follow me there. You can follow my work at dunking with wolves on fan the Minnesota Simberwolves FanSided affiliate and the Queens guard, which follows all sorts of Carolina sports.
0: The more things change with Dylan, the more they stay the same with myself. I've been at, at defense underscore for months now. That's not I don't really foresee that changing any. Uh, you can follow my work, uh, my new work at the Big Red Louis, uh, the fan sided site for the little Cardinals, and also uh, my draft work in Houston Rockets and all the other types of miscellaneous work that I might do for off the glass basketball. Definitely a good crew over there. But just be sure to check. Chip- uh, you know, stay tuned. I mean, there's, there's a ton of, you know, like I said, the more things change, the more they stay the same. The good thing is, you know, uh, I do believe, you know, there has to be a draft and that's what I'm looking forward to is, you know, tough times soon pass. And I hope that that really is the plan with America here. And all we can do is just hope. So, um, hopefully by the next podcast, we have a little bit more of an idea of when the next draft will happen or, have an idea of if they're going to play the season, because that does change stocks because allowing players to work out more in person, all it takes is one good workout and you could get drafted in the first round. I mean, Terry Rozier is a guy out of Louisville that went to Boston off of a good workout. Tower Hero. Grayson Allen. Grayson Allen. I mean, there's a ton of guys you could think of. You you could pin on a board and say, Hey, they had a good workout. They can get drafted high. So I'm just really looking forward to that. So um, that's going to wrap it up for this podcast like it. So be sure to follow the Twitter page at Bracket Breakers. And uh, that's pretty much it. So we'll see you all next time. I, I agree. I think that, um, you know, I, I actually believe that a shooting translates. I, I, I agree. I was going back.